Welcome to Women's Hoops and Talks, the What Podcast, where we are elevating the voice of women in basketball. I'm Tara. And I'm Cassidy. Thank you so much for listening today. We've got a great show coming up. Today we are joined by Britt, also known as Britt Robotista, on Twitter. She is an engineer living in the Bay Area who loves talking hoops. Britt, we're glad to have you on the show today. Great. It's awesome to be with you guys today. Before we get started and go too far, I want to remind everyone that they can follow Hoops and Talks podcast on Twitter at Hoops and Talks, and you can subscribe to the show in the Blazers Edge podcast feed on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. So, Cassidy, do you have a warm-up question for us today? I do indeed. With the Blazers on this long, long road trip, I think they've been on the road for something like 14 or 17 days. Um, years, maybe. Yeah, it feels like it's been a billion years because it was coming off the All-Star break. But uh, if you're going to pick two NBA players to go on a road trip with, who would you pick and why? Oh, my gosh, that's such a good question. Britt, do you want to go first or do you should I go first? Uh, um, I'll go ahead and go first. So I, I think based on the drama right now, um, it would never happen. But I, I think I would say LeBron James would be the first person. <laughs> and then the second person um, would be and it would have to be a current player. Um, I guess I, I would say it would have to be um, Anthony Davis. Just so that one, you know, would they actually talk about uh, any sort of contract related um, issues? And then two, just to see, you know, how they actually um, act. Oh, my God. That's that's amazing. Such an interesting pairing, (laughs) which we may or may not have to get used to, I guess. Uh, Potentially. Who knows? So you'd go with them both at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wonder what it would be like traveling with LeBron. Like, I do uh, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no clue. <laughs> I bet Anthony Davis is probably pretty quiet, but I would bet LeBron takes up a lot of room. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would. De- I would think so. <laughs> He'd always have good wine, though. How about you, Cassidy? I I was back and forth through a few um, between a few answers, but I think I would have to pick. I think I would have to go with Evan Turner only because after seeing the elevator incident video. He was cracking me up in every single one of those videos. And I was like, I just want to, I would totally, this would be such a fun road trip. And then the other person I was thinking is, I just feel like Joel Embiid would be a great person to go on a road trip with. He's hilarious. So I would pick them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Especially <laughs> Joel. Yeah, I feel like great snacks would happen. You know, fun music. I feel like it would be a good experience. So, Would you go with them both at the same time? Yes. Oh my, that would just, that would be so intense. (laughs) It'd be a lot, but I think I'm a lot on a road trip too. So I think it's just a good combination of crazy, just a whole bunch of crazy in one car. I could totally see you in like a convertible driving, like you being in the front with the two of them, like in some sort of custom made backseat, just like kicking kicking it out but like aren't you a little worried with all of the weird things that happened to evan turner that like something might go terribly awry oh my gosh yes i'm quite accident prone myself and so i was i considered not picking but you know on my imaginary road trip i think nothing is going to go wrong (laughs) (laughs) 
aim for the sky. Like, so, Britt, I don't know. Like, in Portland, we're highly aware of all these crazy things that happened to uh, Evan Turner. Like, he had a dump truck fall in his uh, swimming pool. Oh, my gosh. He had a um, – he was, like, on the scene of a crash. Um, of course, he got stuck in the elevator the other day. <laughs> so I'd be just a little scared to travel with him. Um, so That's a little excitement. It, Who would you pick? Certainly me. I would pick, well, this is not going to shock anyone. I would pick Alfaruk Aminu because yes. he, like, when I, I follow him on, you know, Instagram and Twitter, and he seems to like to go to art galleries. And I don't know much about art galleries, but, like, I think wherever we went, he would know the cool places to go. And I think it would be fun to go with somebody, you know, who's really into that kind of thing and just learn a little bit more about it. And then just because, like, I'd be super shy about talking to any of them, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and so having some sort of, like, a common thing that we could focus on, I think that would be, like, a good icebreaker for, you know, giving us things to talk about anyway, at least until we got more familiar with each other. So I go with Alfred Camino so we could go travel art galleries. And then um, I would also choose Ed Davis because apparently he's a real foodie and he knows all the really good Ooh. places to eat. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, oh. I actually, I mean, being a foodie is pretty awesome. So <laughs> it'd be good to go with one that also, or someone who also is a foodie. Yeah, they, um, uh, they uh, apparently when Ed Davis was in Portland, the two of them used to like to go out to dinner together a lot. So I thought maybe I could just go along with that pairing and that could be super fun. Well, we have a, an intensely nerdy topic to talk about today, and I'm so excited that I found someone who wanted to talk about it. Um, we're going to be talking about the collective bargaining agreement today, which is is super important and super central to how the NBA uh, works. And uh, like when people are talking about deals and trades and how much money people make and like so much goes on is, is in, in the collective bargaining agreement that dictates how things work in this league that we love. And I kind of wanted to dig into a little bit and learn more about the CBA and kind of how it's structured and what are some of the things that it does and I really wanted to find uh, somebody new to talk to about it. And so one, of the, I was so excited when I reached out to Britt and I was like, hey, you seem interested in the CBA. Would you be interested? And you were like right on it. So I was like, yes, <laughs> I found somebody after my own heart who likes to talk about these things. So we are going to um, be talking about that. But before we get started, Britt, you want to tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you came to love basketball? Okay, so I guess just to be vague, I live in the California area. I work as an engineer, um, but previously I lived in Texas, and that's where I lived for the vast majority of my life. Um, so as a result, when I got into basketball, it was around the time um, that my parents first moved from Texas from or to Texas from Colorado. Um, and during that time, that was when um, my favorite team, the Houston Rockets, won their back-to-back -back championships. <laughs> so I, you know, got completely into the Houston Rockets and just like loving the culture and just getting involved. I previously had season tickets before I moved up here um, to California. So um, I'm definitely missing just being able to go to the arena and see games. But um, 
I, I guess maybe just the coincidence of moving to the Houston area and then being able to experience like championship parade sort of spoiled me into the whole basketball experience. Oh, I want one. <laughs> I'll try not to be too mean about it. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed Clyde Drexler. We got it. We he learned everything that um, he needed to know in Portland before he went yes. to Houston to win his yeah. championships. <laughs> I must say, I did cheer for Houston that year just because I wanted to watch Clyde win. But <laughs> yeah, there's still a lot of love in Portland for Clyde Drexler. Mm-hmm. Um, Britt, did you ever play basketball or any other sports, or is it just something you've always enjoyed watching? Uh, so I tried out for a ba- um, for my high school basketball team and sort of failed at that. So it's been mostly just a first-person experience. Um, I did have experience playing basketball when I was a kid. I was in rec leagues and other, you know, organized sports, but not really in a high school slash college experience. What was your position? Do you remember? <laughs> um, no, not really. I I think if I was going to equate a position to what I would have probably done. I would probably be something like a point guard, maybe like a small forward potentially, but um, who knows? I I wasn't really in an organized sport enough to have a position. (laughs) Right on. No time to come up with a signature move then? No, no, I I don't think I could even think about one. (laughs) Well, let's, jump into our uh, main topic of tonight. Uh, We're going to talk about the CBA. And I must admit, I am a little bit clueless about this. So I'm kind of wondering, what are the main elements and components that kind of make up the CBA? Um, So I I guess just to back up before I get to that part, um, maybe not a lot of people understand what the CBA is or a collective bargaining agreement. You probably hear the words of a whole lot um, when it comes to not just basketball, the NBA, but football, um, NFL, the um, MLB. Um, But it's basically just a legal contract between two, um, sometimes more, but usually just two organizations. So in this case, it's an agreement between um, the owners of all the 30 teams in the NBA and the MBPA, which is the National Basketball Players Association. So um, it's basically just a compromise between the Player, current players of the NBA and the ownership of the NBA on how to conduct business between e- each of them. Awesome. <laughs> that makes sense. I'm with you so far. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the Players Association, the NBA. So what are the other element, the main components that make up the agreement? Uh, so the um, main components of the agreement are um, – Basically, it discusses what types of contracts can be signed between players and teams and also who can represent players. So, um, for instance, um, there is a section within the CBA that that discusses how an agent can actually be an agent within the NBA. They -hmm. have to be approved ahead of time. So you can't just have anyone um, be an agent for a player representative. Um, Other things that it talks about as well is the pension plans for players. Um, the revenue sharing plans. So um, in short, revenue sharing is um, the money that 
the TV contract brings in, um, how that's split between the 30 teams. Um, there's also other things that come with that as well. Um, it talks about media and in-person appearances and obligations, um, when and how teams can discuss contract terms, um, what conduct can result in a fine, so fighting or any other business or on court matters that can result in a fine or penalties. Um, it can, it also talks about how frequently players and teams can form contracts. So I guess the short version of what I was just saying <laughs> is that um, the CBA um, is basically the off court version of the rules uh, of the rules that referees officiate on court. So Anything that's not the actual rules of procedures of basketball is in the CBA. I like how you said it was like everything that's not on the court is yes. covered. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's just a, just a ton of stuff. Well, how long has the CBA been around? Like, how did it come about? Uh yeah, so um, the CBA actually isn't as old as the league. Um, initially, uh, or at least the reason why the CBA was formed was um, back when, um, back in the 1950s, uh, there was not a players' union. So um, imagine that all the players would have to sign individual contracts, and then how the teams would um, act with those players would just be dependent on the player and the team itself. Um, Bob Cousy, which is a Boston Celtics. Celtics Hall of Fame point guard. Um, he started organizing players because um, he realized, and a few other players realized that, hey, this isn't necessarily fair how we're negotiating individually with these um, teams where they have a whole lot of individuals in the back, you know, in the um, front office who can um, get, you know, the best deal off, off of these players. Um, but then as a result, when they did organize, um, that sort of butted heads with the NBA owners. Um, they uh, initially, when it, the union was formed in 1954, it wasn't even acknowledged as a part of the league until 1957. Um, but then ultimately after about, um, it was about six to eight years of back and forth, including a near, um, a near strike. Um, but in 1964, um, the players and owners um, made a decision that, hey, we need to have a, a structure on when teams and players can potentially strike or have a lockout, um, as well as the pension plans that players um, should have once they retire. Um, so um, in 1964 it was formed and then there's been many iterations of it since then. As I recall that um, one of the things that put him over the top and made the owners like actually recognize the, the players union was they almost striked in the middle of an all-star game. Am I yeah. right about that? <laughs> Yes, that that's oh. exactly it. They, um, I think one of the biggest things that both the players, um, even back in the day to today, and the owners don't want to happen is a strike where they're losing money. Because um, it's not just the owners that are going to be losing money, it's the players as well. Um, so that was one of the biggest influences to eventually create a CBA. Um, to one, um, for pensions, which was one of the biggest things, and then two, was to um, decide discuss when and um, if a lockout or a strike can happen. It's hard to believe that there was a time when teams would like individually negotiate yeah. with individual. I mean, 
it's it's complicated enough as it is but Mm -hmm. um yeah wow super interesting okay so the current collective bargaining agreement that is in place when did it come about and how long is it going to last when will it expire so the current cba it um, was finalized in 2016 but it wasn't actually implemented or um put into effect until 2017 uh the what happens is typically towards the end of a CBA period, the um, NBA owners, the commissioner's office, so Adam Silver and his um, staff, as well as the players of the um, the player association, they'll come together and discuss what major aspects of the CBA need to be approved on, um, such as if there needs to be changes into the salary structure, um, if there's some loopholes or some facets of the CBA that could be uh, negative for teams or negative for the players. Um, And then they'll discuss all those to try to iron out a solution. Um, And a lot of the previous um, CBAs uh, before – they had agreement there would actually be a lockout or a major strike um the 2016 negotiations actually went extremely smooth which um i don't know if we'll get further into uh, exactly the consequences of those but we can um, maybe talk about that later but more or less after um when they had the negotiations during summer league and during the winter meetings they were able to iron out a lot of the issues that were you know previously discussed the last um, several years before the 2016 negotiations, and they were able to sign it and finalize it um, uh, at the end on or at the end of 2016. It became into effect on July 1st, 2017. So that's the first day of the um, free agency window. Um, I think a lot of people know that day pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> it's like circled on our calendar as like a giant holiday. I'm going to start just taking yeah. that day off. Um, why <laughs> You mentioned that it was really smooth. What were some of the things that led to it being a smoother transition than in past years? Well, there was a few things that were going on at the same time. So uh, if you recall um, right uh, back then, that was um, 2016 was the year when um, Al- our Adam Silver first became commissioner of the NBA um, after David Stern's long reign of, um, I, 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 I'm not necessarily a fan of David Stern, but <laughs> reign, um, that actually, you know, ultimately was a positive because they were able to, you know, become a billion dollar company. Um, but um, Adam Silver became commissioner and then the on the player association and Michelle Roberts um, became the first female um, president of the players association. Um, so she basically our sorry, president isn't the right term, but she was the first um, executive director. Executive director. Yes. Executive director of so Michelle Roberts became the first executive director of the Players Association, um, who was a, um, who's also a female. Um, so as a result, those two, uh, both Adam Silver and Michelle um, Roberts, wanted to one make sure that the labor negotiation went smooth, and then also you know help both the owners and players respectively get as much. Um, 
from the um, negotiation as possible. Um, one of the things that had happened, which hadn't happened in the past, is that the Players Association and the Commissioner's Office um, are, were able to have a lot of these negotiations ahead of time. So they were talking about um, the new CBA as far back as 2014, which didn't happen before um, with um, David Stern um, during his time as um Commissioner. I guess one of the things that you have to remember when it comes to um, CBA negotiations is that Adam Silver technically in any NBA commissioner um, works for the owners. So he is the mouthpiece or the mm-hmm. ultimate negotiator for the owners. Um, and then Michelle Roberts um, t- is the negotiator as the, for the players. Um, so even though um, Adam Silver can have a say when it comes to, you know, best options for the NBA collectively, when it comes to the actual finalization of the CBA and contracts and terms within the CBA, um, he has to get permissions from the owners or all 30 owners or a majority of the owners in order to make a decision on his end. And then on the player's side, they have a board of directors on the Players Association during 2016 that was led by Chris Paul as the president. And then um, LeBron James was the first um, vice president. When does the current one expire? So the current CBA expires in 2024. However, there is a mutual lockout or opt out period. So that is happening at or happens in 2023. So that's when we can start hearing people talk about whether or not they're going to um, opt out and decide to renegotiate. Is that what happened? Like what happens if they decide we we want to start over again or whatever? What is that? What If they decide to opt out, what does that mean? So um, what it means is that either the players or the um, owners can go to uh, you know, whichever one did not um, initiate the opt out and say that, hey, there's a lot of differences in the current CBA that we don't think will um, will necessarily be able to, um, you know, discuss before the end of the CBA. Let's go ahead and um, and end the current CBA as it is right now um, and get those neg- go- negotiations going. So technically speaking, um when it comes to the CBA, 2024 is supposed to be the time frame when they can actually negotiate. So if they do the mutual opt-out in 2023, that means that it just start a year earlier. So there's like a lot of talk right now about changing the age limit that people can enter the draft and the new plans to pay a select player, a few players bigger money in the G League. Would this have to be renegotiated before it can take place? With the so, CBA? Sorry. So um, I would say yes and no. Previously, those type of um, changes to the CBA would be um, put on the table or um, tabled. So um, put on hold until the next negotiation. But with the age restriction um, situation, which um, I guess just to back up if someone's not familiar in the 90s, um, they changed the rules so that 
players did not have to wait until their third year of college to be eligible for the NBA. They made it so that you had to be, um, you could be 18 to enter the NBA. So for about a 10 year period, um, that's how LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, um, a lot of the um, Dwight Howard as another example, a lot of these uh, relatively well-known or superstar level players were able to go to this um, NBA, even though they were, you know, much lo- uh, younger than a lot of the other um, players at the time. Um, but as a result, they, um, as a result of this transition, the NBA discovered that a lot of, um, even though there were a lot of superstar level talent that were able to get to the NBA and be successful, there were even more that were failing and not and either um, washing out of the NBA after two or three seasons, which is, you know, pretty bad, especially for teams who um, have, you know, put in a lot of time and effort and money into these players and then they fail. And then two, they realized that they, um, the NCAA was having um, large concerns about having um, players go out of high school and then not being able to retain them because um, under the NCAA rules, um, once you become a pro, you can't play for a college sport anymore. So they changed the rules so that you have to be 19 years old or, and, or two, um, one full season away from your high school graduation class in order to go to the NBA. Now that they're changing it as a result of the, a lot of the NCAA scandals that have recently happened, the, the NBA and the players association have been more lenient about making that change. So Typically, you would see it um, happen in 2023 or 2024, them implementing those changes. But in the case of age restriction, it it sounds like it's going to be implemented before the opt-out period in 2023, um, probably as soon as 2021 or 2022. But that's usually not the case. Most of the time, major changes to the CBA are held until the change or to the um, near the expiration of the CBA um, and rolled over to the new CBA period. So they would like basically both sides would agree that they want to make it happen. They would sit down and outline all of the rules and what's going to happen. And then would both uh, parties have to vote on it as an addendum or something like that? Yep, exactly. So, mm-hmm. A lot of the times when it comes to the addendums and the changes, uh, it ultimately is both sides making an agreement on, you know, when and if they will go ahead and have the change made. So, um, and this usually happens for smaller changes or changes that um, are as a result of a rule um, that was um, either broken or discovered to be not as sufficient for what's going on. Um, usually, but um, like I said, usually bigger rules changes such as age requirements and other sort of, um, you know, rules that could be used as bargaining chips for one side or the other. They're usually held out until close to the negotiation time for the new CBA. So intriguing, especially with like just kind of the pace with which the world seems to change these days, you know, I mean, I guess one of the big things that happened recently was the new like TV contract and all the TV contract money that came in and that kind of collided with or 
maybe lit a fire under <laughs> or I don't know. I had, yeah. There's a lot of talk about that summer of 2016 um, with the renegotiation or or whatever of the of the CBA. Also, all of the, the TV money. A lot of people talk about the summer of 2016. So what are the things some of the things that happened that were, um, you know, were especially intriguing, I guess, because of you know, the TV money and because of the um, renegotiation or the reopening of the CBA. Yep. Um, So I think there were big, um, three big events. Um, One was an event that happened actually, or that um, was initially occurred in 2014, but didn't get implemented into 2016. And then the two other events that sort of caused the whole um, storm of issues that even come up today. So um, like you mentioned before, the TV contract is one of the biggest things. Um, The TV contract between TNT, ESPN, and therefore ESPN's parent company, Disney, um, and the NBA, that was actually signed back in 2014, but didn't go into effect in um, to 2016. As a result of the TV contract, it brought in millions and millions of dollars into the NBA that wasn't seen before. It was the largest TV contract in NBA history. So um, as a result, um, during the negotiations of the last CBA, um, they had a one major point that had to be discussed. It's called cap smoothing. The Both the Players Association and the um, owners realized that there were going to be a ton of money that was coming in as part of the TV contract. And with that money, um, that means for, for all 30 teams, they can use it however they want. Um, the cap smoothing would have allowed for that money to sort of be trickled in across multiple um, years. So I guess sort of like if you won the lottery um, in your state <laughs> and um, they ask you if you want to have one lump sum or if you want to have um, multiple payments across like 20 or 30 years or something silly like that. Um, that was the option when it came to the cap smoothing. So it was either take one lump sum and all that money would be put into place at once, or would there be um, multiple payments across multiple years um, until the end of the TV contract term? Um, the NBA players and Michelle Roberts decided that they did not want to um, have the cap smoothing occur. And they wanted all that money to come in at one time, um, which definitely helped out when it, all right. Oh. You all right? Drop something. <laughs> um, so exciting. Yeah. Dropping things. But yes, I'm definitely dropping things. Uh, <laughs> I dropped my pen earlier, but luckily I don't think anyone heard it. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, what I was saying is that when it came to the TV contract, the NBA Players Association, along with Michelle Roberts, decided that they did not want to have um, multiple payments p- across multiple years. They wanted to have the lump sum, um, you know, when it would um, go into effect in 2016. Um, most teams didn't really realize the consequence of that. So when I said that the there's three big events, um, the second one is the Golden State um, getting Kevin Durant. So 
because there was no cap smoothing and all this money came in at once, um, Kevin Durant during that time, you know, he just lost in the um, NBA Western Conference Finals against the Golden State Warriors. And I guess he was sitting around and Draymond Green called him and said like, hey, when he was crying during the finals. <laughs> um, so, yes. <laughs> so he cried. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have um, various feelings about the Warriors, so I'll try to keep those as nice as possible. But um, Draymond Green called and said, that, hey, do you want to come over to Golden State? Um, Durant said, okay. Um, and then the Golden State front office um, was able to, you know, through various means, realize that um, if Kevin Durant took a short-term deal, a one-in-one, which I can talk about a little bit later, um, he can be signed for a minimum deal and um, they can be under the salary cap. So they did just that. Um, and you mean minimum in terms of time? Yes, yes. So the minimum amount is one in one. So one year is guaranteed for the players and the team that they're signing for. And the second year is either a player option or a team option. Um, the for the Golden State Warriors and Durant, they did a player option um, and Durant you know, that's how Durant got over to Golden State. Um, as a result, that caused a lot of very interesting consequences that we can talk about later on. Um, the second of which is that at the same time Durant moved over to Golden State, a lot of journeymen were given a ton of contract or they were given a lot of money, um, so much money that um, as a result, the last few years, um, middle level or mid tier contracts have gone significantly down. So I think um, one of the examples is like Evan Turner for your team. Yes, we're quite familiar with that one. <laughs> <laughs> A few others as well. Um, in Houston, for instance, um, Ryan Anderson was a player who had that contract. Um, a few others that had the contract as well is um, Carmel Anthony. Um, you know, a whole lot of different players who, um, as a result of being free agents in 2016, um, they were able to get a ton of money. So, you know, someone like Chandler Parsons, if he waited one year before or one year after 2016, he probably wouldn't have gotten that big bunch of cash and now is like floating around somewhere in Memphis doing whatever he's doing. Yeah, there was a, a lot of stuff happened and it's going to be a long time until people stop talking about the summer of 2016 probably until the next one <laughs> and maybe even longer than that i mean honestly i think the summer of 2016 and the consequences of that will you know sort of sustain conversation for a very long time um when it comes to the cba and how it's going to be structured now and into the future as well as how players and owners um react to influxes of money as a result of different contracts being signed and different um agreements being formed with you know different tv partners and other partners like that i was wondering how does one become the Players Association president? Because I know Chris Paul has been in that position for a while. Do they vote on a regular basis? Or yes, so they uh, the Players Association has a cadence when it comes to their voting structure. So um, during the I think it varies, but usually it's during the winter meetings that the players and the owners have is when the players have are begin opening. Um, 
for voting. So there's multiple levels when it comes to the board of directors for the Players Association. Um, the president is, has the longest amount. So Chris Paul is currently the president of the Players Association. Um, and then the other types of roles are the first, second um, vice presidents. So they basically serve as individuals for the different um who take charge of different aspects as a vice president role. Um, and then there are representatives for all 30 teams. So all 30 teams can um, do a vote internally to vote a player who will become a representative. Um, and then there's also different um, roles as well, such as secretary and treasurer of the players association. And those are all voted by players um, within the league. Um, so they do that throughout the year. Um, and then, um, so just recently, they had a new vote for the new um, first president or vice presidents of the um, N- National Basketball Players Association. As a result, the most re- are um, Andre Iguodala became the um, first vice president, and then um, a, a number of other players as well, mostly mid-tier journeymen, became um, the major representatives, um, which is actually pretty significant because the 2016 CBA and the consequences of that, um, aka Kevin Durant moving over to Golden State, and the the mid-tier journeyman um, contracts going down a cliff as a result of the overpayment that happened um, with the um, players in 2016. That has caused a sort of like rift, or at least um, there's been, I guess, um, let me say that all these are like allegations. So these are just like rumors from the rumor bin. I'm not, um, I, I don't have any connection to the NBA whatsoever, but just from various contracts and articles that have been written, um, there's been a lot of a lot of pain for the middle uh, mid-tier players because they're not getting paid enough um, compared to what they were getting paid before. So in 2016, they were getting somewhere between you know 20 to 40 million dollar per year contracts, um, which were way too much. And then as a result of the cap smoothing ha- not happening, the salary cap actually decreased a little bit, or at least compared to what was planned for the salary cap to be. So a lot of the players that have tried to find roles in um, teams since then have been only been able to get single year contracts. Every once in a while, um, someone like um, Trevor Ariza, for instance, would get a fifteen million dollar contract for a single year um, at the or from Phoenix Suns, um, which uh, you know subsequently caused the GM at the time to get fired. But that's a different story. <laughs> um, but um, usually they would get a lot lower the contract compared to what they were expecting um, based on what was happening in 2016. So, you know, just based on my opinion and what has been sort of forming in the last few years, the changes in the player association to more having more of a mixture of mid-tier players, as well as Chris Paul remaining the president um, will allow for those mid-tier players and those journeyman players to be able to have more of a say when it comes to the next CBA negotiations in the next few years. So and the so if cap smoothing had happened, I want to make sure I understand how it works. So so how much money is available for teams to pay their players is based on the revenue sharing agreement, and 
um, because there was this sudden influx of money from the TV agreement, the amount of money that each team now had available to pay players went way up. And if they had chosen to do cap smoothing, it would have increased incrementally. And my guess would be that like the money that wasn't, they weren't being allowed to spend that year would, you know, eventually be added onto it at a later time or something like that. And so teams wouldn't have suddenly had $20 million to work with. They made it may have had, you know, five or $10 million to work with, and they might not have gone out and given out these tremendous contracts. And in addition, they could have been able to um, count on a little bit more uh, accurately how much money would be available because they knew how much money they didn't spend the year before. But what instead happened was, they actually took in less revenue the second year, and so the cap didn't grow as much as they had expected. So it, things got even tighter in that they got things got really tight in that second year after the um, the the cap really spiked. Is that accurate? Yes, definitely. Yes, no, yes. It's only taken me like two years to figure that out. <laughs> yes. So the you know I, I think. I sort of put blame on both sides, um, maybe a little bit more on the player's side than the, you know, the commissioner's office because the commissioner's office um, slash Adam Silver um, were promoting cap smoothing to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, they had um, models and were, you know, suggesting that, hey, if we did have this influx, there could be some adverse consequences. And that's actually a phrase that Adam Silver recently said during uh, one of his press conferences that the adverse consequences that weren't seen by all parties. Um, mm-hmm. So as a result of that, it the, you know, if they did incrementally increase the salary cap over a certain period of time um, based on the TV deal, uh, there probably would have been less of a chance that someone like Kevin Durant would go over to Golden State as the biggest example or having these big, huge, gigantic contracts that were happening in 2016 and basically, you know, chained um, most of the 30 teams in the NBA to very difficult contracts that um, weren't or that unfortunately didn't compare to the players, um, you know, their um, playing experience and how they played on the court. So I think the, you know, the players association um, and Michelle Roberts, when she was taking over, she wanted to give her best foot forward with the players. They wanted to show that, Hey, we're a strong union and, you know, we don't want to do something that could be against the players. Um, So like I said, it's, you know, I would say like 70% of the issues that are going on are the players fault, quote unquote. But I feel like, you know, if they were able to model it, well enough i think the nba front office could have or the nba commissioner's office could have figured out a way to you know show that hey um you know even if they did a negotiation that you know maybe said that two-thirds of it would go you know one year and then we would you know sort of twinkle or we would um you know put the rest of it through multiple years after that um that could have maybe helped out a little bit more than what um ultimately happened well what's done is done but uh, yeah, <laughs> we've we've come. I think it's probably safe to say. And Cassidy, if you disagree, definitely chime in. Like we in Portland have um, come to terms with Evan Turner, 
uh, and the, the contract. I well, love Well, because him. he's so entertaining and he's still <laughs> playing, you know, of a lot of the yeah. contracts that were, that, you know, people look at, you know, sideways, a lot of those players are not playing or pay, playing very little. So, you know, Evan Turner still has the ball in his hands and he's also like one of the most entertaining people in the league. And it after it is, after all, an entertainment league. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. And um, like you said, there are many players who got a contract in 2016 that aren't even playing right now. Um, I mentioned Chandler Parsons earlier. Um, he and the Grizzlies have sort of gone separate ways, but he hasn't been picked up because his whole salary would have to be picked up by another team. Um, so the consequences for, you know, the players that took those big contracts initially, it was good because they were getting a ton of money, but now it's basically causing these players to not even be able to play in the league because the, you know, different teams don't want to pick up a very expensive contract. Um, I, I, it's a very frustrating situation, which I think will come um, into more providence once the um, CBA or this current CBA cycle um, comes near the expiration date. So, Speaking of Blazers, we talked a little bit about Evan Turner, but I'm wondering, Damian Lillard's contract expires in 2021, and what are some of the things in the CBA that are going to be important for those of us in Portland who are invested in where he ends up? Or I guess across the league, everyone's invested. Yes, yes. So, uh, yeah. Please stay uh Yeah, so I guess I can give my sort of, here's the two major things that could happen, and then here are some, like, speed bumps that could be on the way, um, aka, like, a LeBron situation with Anthony Davis or something like that, but I'll give the good news first, (laughs) so um, I think... um, we're all aware of a supermax. So the proper name of the supermax is a designated pair player exception. Um, the supermax allows for teams to designate a single pair player. Um, technically you can have more than that, but if you have more than like two or three, you'll basically max out your salary cap and then you won't have any room to have any additional players. So it's usually one to two players who, um, have, um, met the requirements for the Supermax. So to meet the requirements, you have to be entering um, the eighth or ninth season um, of your career. So right now, Damian Damian Lillard, if I can talk, is currently in his seventh season. So next year, he'll actually be eligible for um, going to the Supermax. Um, You have to be on your current team um, that... um, signed you from the draft or be traded to the current team during the rookie during um, the player's rookie scale contract. Um, of course, for Dame, he, you know, was drafted to the Portland Trailblazers. So um, he is eligible that way in other, you know, teams. Um, you may know that Chris Paul, who plays for the Houston Rockets, he was given a max deal. But the reason why he is not eligible for a super max deal is because he wasn't on his rookie scale contract and he wasn't um, or he wasn't traded during his rookie scale t- contract. And then, of course, he's on his third team since he was drafted for um, with the Charlotte or the um, New Orleans Hornets at the time, which are now the (laughs) New Orleans Pelicans, which is like, I always get confused about which one was which during those years. (laughs) Uh, 
But then there's also, once you meet those two major criteria, so if you don't meet, um, those are both ands. So if you don't meet either one, or you have to meet both, uh, both the first and second criteria that I mentioned. So being in your eighth or ninth season or, um, and then being with your current team or um, traded to your current team um, in, in your current or rookie scale contract. And then if you hit those criteria, then there's a, there are there's this third criteria that breaks down into three parts. So in a three year period, right before you um, go up for the supermax, you have to make one of these choice, or you have to hit one of these goals. You have to um, make one all NBA team um, in at least one of the three seasons that before your supermax. So um, Dame Lillard, he, Lillard or um, Damian, he already um, has a all NBA team, I think the last three years or so. Um, so he already meets this and um, the rest of it doesn't apply because he's okay with that. If he didn't do that, then he would need to be selected as defensive player of the year in two of the last three seasons before going up for the supermax, or he would have to be selected as MVP. Um, so in that situation, um, an example of someone who recently signed the Supermax was James Harden, also from the Houston Rockets. Um, he was uh, traded to Houston on his rookie scale contract. So, you know, even though he wasn't uh, originally um, a Houston Rockets player that was selected in the draft, he still was able to get be able, able to go to the Supermax. And then he was entering his ninth season at the time. Um, he's now in his 10th season. And then as a result, if you get all those criteria, which I mentioned, which is like a whole bunch, you can, um, team can say that, hey, we're going to designate you as a, um, player that can go for the super max um, and you can sign that deal. So that deal is anywhere between five to seven years or five to seven years. And then it's $200 million max. Um, so it's the highest contract that a player can get that is not in their 10th year or greater um, playing in the NBA. So Chris Paul is on a max and James Harden is on a super max. Is that correct? Yes. I did not yes, know that. Correct. Yes. Uh, and also the reason why um, James Harden and Chris Paul's contracts are very close together, or at least when it comes to the, the salary cap structure is because Chris Paul, um, once you hit your 10th year in the league, so Chris Paul is in his 13th year in the year in the league. Um, there are different thresholds that happen. So you become a veteran in the eyes of the NBA. And as a result, your pay scale actually significantly bumps up. So that's why um, when it comes to the Supermax, you have to be entering your eighth or ninth season because once you become get to your 10th season, then your um, payment structure changes significantly. Um, so it actually evens out in the long run. Oh my gosh, you've given us so much to think about. <laughs> yes. so yeah, so yeah, so in short, um, you know, that's why the Supermax is sort of like formed so that, you know, they can keep players in. They don't want something that happened with Kevin Durant happening again. Um for oh, sorry. Unfortunately, um the consequences of adding that hasn't really been a positive net gain for the league in fact um in my personal opinion i feel like it it's sort of done the opposite but we can talk about that um another time and place um <laughs> but the second option besides the supermax is that um he can do a short-term extension so um 
I think people are most familiar with Ke- um, Kevin Durant and LeBron James doing this. So uh, like I mentioned earlier, it consists of usually one-for-one or two-for-one deals. So a one-for-one or two-for-one is that the first one to two years are guaranteed, and then the the second or third year, depending on the structure of the contract, there's either a player opt-out or a team opt-out. And then uh, opt-out, of course, means that if they decide that they want to become or if a player decides that they want to become a free agent or if a team doesn't want to keep that player for you know whatever reason that they think of they can say that hey we don't want to we're not going to guarantee the third year you can go and look for something else um the reason why players in particular like doing this deal is because it gets them a lot more money in the long run and gives them a whole lot of flexibility to go to multiple teams um so I guess for the negative when it comes to the short-term extension is that if he did want to start doing that based on what has happened the last few years when it comes to um, Kevin Durant, um, LeBron James until recently um, when he signed to the Lakers, is that a player is more and more likely to move to a different team as a result. Um, Once the... Um, other team has enough cap space to provide them a, a max deal. So we should be on the lookout for whether or not Damian Lord accepts the maximum, which is offered to him because he has fulfilled the, the terms in order to qualify for a super max. But if he doesn't take that and he ins- chooses to sign something shorter, that's more worrisome, <laughs> I guess. Um, or at least that that's definitely my opinion um i think kevin durant as the biggest example you hear rumors constantly about you know kevin durant going to Uh the knicks or the nets the lakers or the clippers um but the reason for that is is that for the last three to four years he has you know basically just gone year to year with a new contract so he saw um kevin durant signed his latest contract during the summer of this year um and then he's essentially going to most likely opt out for the 2019-2020 season and go to another location potentially. Of course, all of these are just like yeah. rumors and innuendo. Is the, is the amount of money that is available to someone who signs, signs a short-term um, extension is like the yearly amount of money the same as what you would get in a super max or is that a smaller amount? Do you know? Um, it's, it's a or substantially smaller amount. Um, there are, um, I guess, the sh- short version of it because it's a lot more complicated business jargon <laughs> that I don't want to get into. Um, the short of it is that for um, when a team and a player makes a decision um, with the contract, they have to adhere to the rules of the CBA. The CBA has exact parameters of how much a particular player can make based on um, bonuses that the team may provide to them, um, 
what year that they are in. Um, for instance, I mentioned that Chris Paul is above his 10th year, um, a veteran level. So that sort of pay scale is a lot different compared to Damian Lillard and James Harden um, until recently, since James Harden is now in his 10th year. Um, but other players who um, are still not hitting that 10 year threshold yet. Um, so based on that, based on if someone gets an all NBA or an all star appearance, um, even things such as um, the percentage of the three throws that they make, um, that can determine how much the team can provide. And then the CBA itself gives information about how much the player can make based on their previous salary. And then the percentage that can be added on um, as, you know, as they transition from a rookie scale to their second, second contract that happens. And then usually from their second contract to either their super max or their max contract or to a veteran um, contract or any other, the variations thereof. It's, truly mind-boggling how much stuff is in there yeah yeah <laughs> was, uh yeah i, I probably talk all day just be, um from a particular <laughs> aspect um all i can say is that it's very complicated and that's why you know people like daryl morey or um danny Ainge make a whole lot of money and i relatively do not <laughs> well, I think this has been a fabulous introduction to the CBA and uh, we'll all we can mull it over and think about it as the season starts to wind up as most teams are playing their last 20 games. You know, the teams are ramping up for the playoffs, but I imagine all the GMs are ramping up for the off season and getting ready to make their moves and and do their things. So this is a good thing for us to have in the back of our mind, and then we'll mull it over. And once the season's over, I bet you we'll have you back on to uh, tell us a little bit more and go into a little bit more detail on some of those things. In the meantime, would you do you want to share with people where how they can find you on Twitter? Yep. So my Twitter handle is Brit Robotista, um, B-R-I-T-R-O-B-O-T-I-S-T-A. <laughs> um, I know it's a little bit convoluted but i sort of like the name so uh, i'll keep it going for now that's awesome now cassidy since we're all amped up from talking about numbers you want to go into this week's uh coffee talk absolutely i have my favorite coffee uh on this uh this week uh it's the la Asuncion from marigold coffee it is a single origin from guatemala and it is absolutely delicious. It has a really, really strong plum jam flavor. It has a butterscotch flavor after you add milk or cream to the coffee. And it is just fantastic. I love it. I talk about it all the time. I want to go down in Guatemala and go hug the farmers. I love them. Um, <laughs> but in a lot of the ways, it reminds me kind of of drinking a wine. And so this week's La Cincion Marigold Coffee goes to CJ McCullum, our resident uh, wine expert. Nice. I, we got to go um, coffee uh, drinking together sometimes so you can tell me how to do it all the fancy ways. Because sometimes I'll like – I just – I thought of you the other day because I had – one day I had a cup of uh, coffee that was like a pour over. And then the next day I had it uh, in a soy cappuccino. 
end. It tasted mm-hmm. completely di- like totally different flavors mm-hmm. came out when it was mixed oh, yeah. with with something else. But I couldn't identify the flavors. I was just like, I know this tastes like something, <laughs> but I don't know what it is. So you'll have to help me train my train my palate. Britt, do you drink coffee? Um, actually, the only thing I drink is McDonald's um, frappes. So you probably don't want to ask you whatsoever. <laughs> Well, we can help you. You'll have to come up and visit us in Portland and we'll take you to some fancy coffee. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I've never had a good experience with coffee, so maybe I just need to go somewhere that actually has <laughs> decent coffee. Well, it's it's like the whole ritual of the thing for me anyway. It's just like – because in, in Portland, I go to places like where they make the pour over like right in front of you and you can watch them do it. And they – I love the little – um the little things that they pour the water out have these long skinny things and they sprinkle the water all over the place. I don't know. It's just, I find it really fun and I just I love the, <laughs> the process of it or watching them steam it or whatever. I just, I think it's really fun. So you'll have to come up and see us sometime in Portland and uh, go, yeah. go to the fancy coffee places or we could go to tea or whatever. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> during a Rockets versus Portland game. Um, maybe Oh, there is a high chance that they could play during the playoffs. And in that case, I probably won't be able to talk to you for a couple of weeks. We'll see. Fair enough. You'll, if you come up here, you'll have to put up a little, with a lot of point nine talk. Okay. <laughs> a lot of it. Because that's pretty much like we were already going to fall in love with Damian Lillard anyway. But that really sealed the deal. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 um. I, I don't remember that, so we can't. <laughs> well, we do. Blocking things from our memories. <laughs> well, anyway, that's going to do it for yeah. this edition of the Women's Hoops and Talks podcast. Um, one more time, I am Tara Bowen Biggs. I can be found on Twitter at TCBBIGGS. You can follow the podcast at Hoops and Talks on Twitter. You can send us an email, and that would be hoopsandtalks at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Let us know if there's anyone you think we should be talking to. You can find the podcast in the Blazer's Edge podcast feed. So go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Blazer's Edge. And on Thursdays, you will find Women's Hoops and Talks episodes. Cassie, why don't you tell folks where they can find you and take us out of here? You can find me at Cassidy Gemmett, C-A-S-S-I-D-Y-G-E-M-M-E-T. Let me plug, we have our next Women's Hoops and Talks meetup is coming up soon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. On the 12th. Yes, 12th at the McMinimans on Broadway. If you want to come and watch a basketball game with a bunch of fun ladies who uh, scream at the refs and yell encouraging things at the players. (laughs) We're your group. We're your group of people. (laughs) Yeah, so that's going to be on March 12th at 7.30 at McMinimans on Broadway. So we would love to see some people, some more folks there too as well. Thanks so much for joining us. For Cassidy and Britt, we will talk to you later.